2 Kings 5. I have preached from the story of Naaman. I have preached on the little maid. Just a few years ago, I have preached from Gehazi. None of this tonight are those sermons. But, but 2 Kings 5, look at verse number 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Skip down to verse number 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. It's the story of Naaman. You're familiar with it. The captain of the Syrian army being healed of his leprosy. And the story has been preached a lot as a, as a type of salvation, and, and it is. But I want to use it tonight to draw an analogy of missions and try to encourage our heart in the matter of missions. Now, now that's a little bit strange because right now, our church is giving more money to missions than we probably ever have. Uh, we're supporting more missionaries. We, we took on, just took on a couple of missionaries in the Middle East. We have about four or five that I've invited to come in that in the next few months that we will take on for support as well. In the month of June, we have a missions emphasis month. Uh, we've got three missionaries. We've got three speakers that are coming in. All of June is all about missions. I don't believe that you can emphasize it too much. And so, so this is not a message to prop up our mission support because we're lack or behind a faith promise. We're, we're probably ahead. But it's just to encourage us to keep sending and keep going and keep giving and keep doing what we're doing. And you know that Naaman was a captain in the Syrian army. He was an honorable man. The Bible says he was a mighty man of valor. So he's a very accomplished man. He's, he's achieved a lot in, in his life. But everything that is said about him in verse number one is overshadowed by the last statement, but he was a leper. And when that is introduced into the narrative, really everything else becomes very small. It becomes very unimportant. And when you look at people and you see their accomplishments and you see um, uh, what they have achieved and their success and their fame, it's tempting for us to envy that. But when you consider that they're sinners, then really nothing else matters. And we need to see men as sinners, not to criticize them, but to have pity on them as being without the Savior. But then we're told that this, this Naaman had a household servant, a little servant girl. The Bible calls her a little maid. She's from Israel. The Syrians had gone on a raid into Israel. They had brought back a captive, uh, this young lady, this young girl from the land of Israel. She's been kidnapped and she's been taken away from her family and she's made to be a servant to a very wealthy family. But I'm going to surmise that this girl has been raised in a godly home and she has been taught about the God of, of Israel. She worships the true God and she has an incredible faith in that God, as you will see. And true to the heart of God's people, instead of hating her master, she pitied him and she wanted to see him healed of this leprosy. And so this little maid somehow gets word to him that there is a man of God in Israel. His name is Elisha. 
And Elisha has miracle-working powers, and, and she was convinced that if somehow Naaman could get to Elisha or Elisha could get to Naaman, then he could be cured even of leprosy. So this little maid is really what a missionary is. She was a witness. She, she was a testimony. And, and it would have been a very short chapter in the life of Naaman had it not been for this little maid. But what she did is she intervened. She, she interjected herself into the situation. And that's exactly what a missionary does. He goes into a foreign field and he inserts himself, sometimes uninvited and sometimes even unwanted, and he inserts himself into their situation and he sees a need and he gets under burden and he looks for an opportunity. And this little maid, she cannot help naming herself, but she knows someone who can. So she's going to point him to the one that can help him. Well, through the witness of this little maid, the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel, and eventually they get a message to Elisha, the prophet. So, so you have a captain in the army. You have two kings. They're trying to find a cure for the leprosy of this man, and, and, and it's going to take a preacher. It's going to take a preacher to show them the cure. And I know that our message sometimes seems like it gets drowned out with all the din and the noise of the world, but, but just keep preaching it. Because somebody's going to hear it one day and get saved. And we have a message that literally will change lives. Therefore, there should be no shame in proclaiming that message. Well, you know, Elisha, I'm not preaching on this, but Elisha sends word to Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and be healed. And Naaman gets offended. He gets indignant about it. He should have heard my message this morning, but, but he, gets, he gets offended. And the gospel is offensive. It, it really is. But if you want help, then you have to obey it. There's not going to be a plan B. There is not another alternative. There's not another river. No, if you want to be healed, this is what you have to do. And Naaman finally broke his pride and he did as the man of God said. And he was cleansed of his leprosy and he's given a, a new lease on life. Now that's a wonderful, wonderful story. So, so, so a little maid becomes in effect a missionary. She brings good news to him from a far country and Naaman is healed. But later in the story, there is another servant of Elisha's, and his name is Gehazi. I didn't read these verses, but Naaman is so grateful for the healing that he wants to reward Elisha. And so he sends a gift to Elisha. In fact, if you read it, he sends 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 new suits. Somebody figured it up, I don't know how, that said that in today's economy, that would be equivalent to about $4 million. He is sending a big gift to say thank you, and Elisha refused it. And the reason why Elisha refuses it is because it would have messed the story up. Because, because salvation is a free gift, right? But if he's taken this gift, then, then, then he's paying for it, but you cannot pay for the grace of God. But Elisha has this servant named Gehazi. And so the rest of the story is about this man, Gehazi, scheming how I'm going to get that offering for myself. He doesn't have the same standards. He doesn't have the same principles. He doesn't have the same ethics or the morals that Elisha does. He sees a pot of gold, and nothing's going to stand in his way of getting that gold. So here's the way I look at the story. I have two servants, and they are polar opposites in every way. One of them is a male, one is a female. One is young, one is presumably older. One is unnamed, 
The other is named. One is in his own homeland. The other is a captive in a foreign country. One is a servant involuntarily. Voluntarily. Uh, the, other, the other is a servant by force. And here's what I, what I want to give to you tonight, is that you and I fall into one of the other categories. You are more like the little maid, or you're more like Gehazi. And so tonight, I want to look at these two servants and see which one that we're like. First of all, there is the honorable servant. Now, the first thing that we know about the little maid is that we don't know much about her. We don't know her family. We don't know her hometown. We don't know her age. I don't know how long that she was a captive. But there are some things that I know about her that I gather from her actions. First of all, I want you to notice her distressful predicament. Look at verse 2. The Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So she's been kidnapped, and she's taken captive out of her homeland. She is in a foreign land. It is circumstances beyond her control. It is not her idea to be there. Someone mightier than she has put her there, and it's got to be a hard thing. It's got to be scary. It's, it's got to be lonely. I'm assuming that she would cry herself to sleep. She's in a very difficult predicament. And the thing about it is we read verse 2 and we pass on, and it's very hard for us to imagine the sadness that this little girl dealt with. Imagine your child being placed in a situation like that. So, so she has a distressful predicament, but then there is a difficult prerogative. When her master finds out that he has leprosy, it sends shockwaves through the house. And she has a choice. And the choice that she has is I can let nature take its course and I can just watch him die or I can intervene. Now get this. She is not responsible for his disease, but she is responsible to tell him about healing. It isn't her fault that he has leprosy, but if she knows the cure and doesn't tell it, it'd be her fault if he dies of, le of the leprosy. And, 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 and someone in her position could not be blamed if he privately gloated that Naaman has leprosy. I mean, he really, maybe you, you deserve this. And I don't know, maybe, maybe Naaman was a kind master, but he is her master. If it were not for him, she would be home with her family, with her parents, with, with her loved ones. But there was just something in her that did not want to see him die a horrible death as a leper. Maybe she saw the pain in her mistress's eyes. Maybe she saw the grief in the children watching their father suffer. Whatever it was, she makes a decision that she is going to try to help. And can I tell you, that's exactly what we do in missions in a local church. Missions is a local church assuming the responsibility for a world that is dying of a horrible sin, disease called sin. It is not our fault that they are sinners. But if we know the truth and don't tell the truth, then it will be our fault. She was honorable in that she would not stand idly by and just watch him die. And it's an honorable thing when a church says we can't just sit idly by and watch the world die and go to hell. But then notice her dogmatic presumption. Look at verse 3. 
She said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now just listen to her. And, and notice what she says. She says, For he would recover him of his leprosy. Now that's an astounding statement on several facts. A lot of moving around. Maybe have an usher step back to the back. Thank you. Now, 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 it's an astounding fact on several things. For one thing, why would she assume that Elisha would heal the captain of a Syrian host? Secondly, what made her think that Elisha could heal a leper even if he wanted to? I found this verse in Luke 4 and verse 27. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed save in Naaman the Syrian. She believed that God could do something, though she had never seen it done before. There is no record of any leper being recorded in that day. In fact, the Bible says that there was no leper recorded, healed in Israel in that day. But she still had enough faith to believe that God could do it through Elisha the prophet. Now, now we doubt, we doubt if God can save sinners, though we have seen it done over and over and over. In fact, you may have somebody that, that you've tried to witness who that you have a burden over, but they're a hard case. And because they're a hard case, then they'll never get saved. But haven't you seen God save hard cases before? And, and, and if she could believe that God could do something she had never seen happen before, then surely you and I could believe God to do something we have seen Him do over and over and over. Notice her dynamic persuasion. Look at verse 4. One went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Now, now when you read the verses, you don't get the voice inflection. I, I don't get how that she said it. But it must have been quite persuasive. Because from what she says, Naaman's wife goes to Naaman. The word gets to the king of Syria. The king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel. And from there it somehow gets to Elisha the prophet. Now that is a lot of moving around on the word of a little girl. So my assumption is that she was somehow persuasive. She was somehow passionate about what she believed. And I think that you and I can learn something about that. It is good to witness. It is good to pass out tracts. But there ought to be a little persuasion behind it. How are we going to persuade others if we are not persuaded ourselves? And by the way, as far as I can tell, she just told Naaman's wife. But the message goes beyond her immediate audience. When you are passionate about your message, your message will carry farther than you think. It can go beyond even the person that you're witnessing to. It can carry to a second and a third and a fourth. She's passionate about it. So I say that she is an honorable servant. There's a second servant. I'm going to call him the horrible servant. Elisha hears about the plight of Naaman, sends a messenger to him, tells him to dip seven times in the Jordan River. Now, Gehazi is not named. It is said a messenger. However, Gehazi is named in the chapter before. Gehazi is named in the aftermath of the story. So I believe that this messenger that comes is the same as Gehazi. And I want you to look at verse number 10. 
Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Look at verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather when he said to thee, Wash and be clean. Here's what I want you to notice. The messenger delivers the message, but he is unpersuasive. Naaman did get into the Jordan River. He did dip seven times, but it is not the messenger that persuades him. It is only when the servants get involved. They're the ones that finally persuade him. He relays the message, but there's not a lot of conviction there. There's not a lot of concern there. He didn't do anything else than what he was commanded. He conveys the word, but beyond that, he doesn't really care whether Naaman lives or dies. The little maid is persuasive. Gehazi is unpersuasive. And God help us tonight to never preach the gospel dispassionately. God help us to never take it as just a duty to be obeyed and, and, and not a step more. God present an opportunity to me to give a man a gospel track, but when I do, help me to give it with faith and with hope and with confidence that he may read the gospel track and he may actually get saved. I have knocked on doors before hoping no one would answer. And you don't judge me because you've done the same thing. Huh? You know that you have. We're out from 10 to 12 on door knocking. It's 11.15. I got 20 more minutes. Man, I, man, there's no cars. You've done the same thing. His deficient participation within his disturbing priority. Look at verse number 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Now Gehazi takes notes that, that, that Naaman has been healed, but here's what's concerns him. He didn't pay for it. It escapes him that a man has been healed of a horrible disease. That a family has been spared of the grief of seeing their father, their husband die. His one concern is how much it has cost us and how little we got back from this. And he says, he says, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. He's running out of covetousness, not out of concern. He's not running to meet the needs of somebody else. He's running to satisfy his own lust. He's not running to give. He's running to take. And that little maid had no ulterior motive. Now, that little maid, she didn't think, boy, if I can help him, maybe he can help me. Boy, maybe this is my ticket to getting back home. That's not what she's thinking. She's not looking for a way to improve her situation. She's not trying to get anything in return. No. And here's the thing. Naaman getting healed wasn't going to benefit her one time a bit. It's not going to change her life. But it sure would change his and when we go out and knock on doors, we go to good neighborhoods and bad neighborhoods. And we knock on big houses and we knock on trailer parks. 
And you ought to witness to the businessman in the suit, and you ought to witness to the man that's all tatted up and long hair and the whole. You ought to witness to both. And, 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 and these men that go into the prison and had a service this afternoon, these men that go into the prison and preach, if everybody in that prison gets saved, it won't change your life one bit. But it sure changed their life. But then notice his deceptive betrayal. Look at verse 22. And he said to Naaman, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Look at verse 25. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. In both cases, Gehazi lied. He tried to cover his covetousness as concern for others, and he lied. He took what was given from ministry, and he kept it for himself, and that was a lie. He tried to convince Naaman that he just wanted to be a blessing to the sons of the prophets, and that was a lie. He told Elisha, I haven't been anywhere. That was a lie. And we touched on honesty this morning in the message. I won't preach it again. But how many Christians are living a lie? Are, are you really concerned or do we just want to be seen as concerned? Do we really care or do we just want to make sure that nobody knows that we don't care? But what's, what's our motive? Two servants. One's honorable and one is horrible. And you're like one of them. You have more of the little maid or you have more of Gehazi. You are either motivated by grace or you're motivated by greed. You either have a heart of compassion or you have a heart of covetousness. You're either stirred by the needs of others or you're stirred by your own desires and your own wants. You're either willing to intervene in the need of others or you're unwilling to intervene in the need of others. The P.S. to the story is that Gehazi ends up with the same leprosy that Naaman had. Look at verse 27. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. And that simply tells us that a servant who does not do his job is no better than the people that he's supposed to be helping. And when he became a leper, that means he has to be sequestered. He has to be isolated from the rest of society. That means he has no other opportunity to help anybody else. When he squandered that chance, he didn't get another chance. That opportunity was his last opportunity. You're either Gehazi or you're that little maid. You're one or the other. Two servants, two servants tonight. Which one are you? I see a story of missions in that. That little maid, I see her as a picture of a missionary. I, I want to be like that. I don't want to be driven by greed and covetousness and my self-interest. And so God, may God help us to take the characteristics of a nameless little maid and incorporate that into our life. Heavenly